Hey, this is Sam Spade from the Midnight Devils, and you are listening to Concerts That Made Us. And baby, I got a little piece of advice for you. Never ever, under any circumstances, never beg for it. You know, Sam Spade, I got something bigger for you. You're listening to Brian right now, Concerts That Made Us. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, Conscience That Made Us. Interviews and stories, tales from the bus, we love taking you back to when it all went down. The greatest live shows and that cheering crowd sound, it's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts that made us.com. On this episode, I'm joined by Sam Spade from the Midnight Devils. The Midnight Devils are a high-energy, glam-slam, boogie-woogie rock and roll band. You won't find a more fun or exciting band on the scene at the moment. They consist of Sam Spade on bass and vocals, Sniper on guitar and Jimmy Mess on drums. They've toured with the likes of Enough's Enough, Pretty Boy Floyd and The Choir Boys. And we're about to hear all about it. So, without further ado... Let's get on with the show. Around. 
Sam Spade, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. You know, it's a pleasure being here. An honor talking to you. And uh, I think we're going to have a good time. This is going to be something special. Definitely. Definitely. I've been looking forward to it now. One thing I've noticed about the Midnight Devils is you seem to be the funnest band on the planet. You guys just like seem like a hell of a good time, you know? I appreciate you saying that. And that's exactly what we're going for. We're uh, not a lot of bands have the balls to to dress like we dress, to put on lipstick and glitter and step up up on stage. But I really think that that especially in this day and age with everything that's going on, we need this type of action. We need this type of fun more than we ever did before. And I really think that the Midnight Devils lends itself to this, this freedom of creativity, of sexuality, of, of, of anything that you want to do. You can do it as long as you're having a good time doing it. Exactly, exactly. And I get the feeling that it's not just for show with you guys, that you guys really, you know, behind the scenes, you are the same as you appear on stage, you know? Yes, absolutely. You're completely right. There's not a huge, huge difference from the way we look when we walk into the club. You know, we, we still wear our leather jackets. We still got our, our Ramones patches and, and our Kiss patches and everything like that. We still wear those every day because to us, that's what rock and roll is. And it's always been like that. You wear your, your T-shirt proudly every day because that's your favorite band and that's what you listen to. And it's it, there's a realness that is uh it comes through to the audience and it comes through to the people listening to the people watching the shows there's a realness that is what rock and roll is and jimmy mess they call him jimmy mess for a reason he's really like that he's one rock and roll you know he's the wildest rock and roll dude there is with this just free spirit uh, uh just maniac personality and i think it totally translates to the songs to the show to the whole environment i always believe as well that if you're fakeness, the fans will see through it straight away. You're completely right. And, and uh, you know, you've seen a, a million bands with, let's say, guys that wear wigs or guys that have backing tracks. That fakeness, the audience knows immediately. And so for us, it's like, how, how real can we make this? How can we push ourselves out of even our comfort zones into what we think we want, what we think our fans would want? We're, there's no backing tracks. There's nothing, everything's live on stage. You know, the songs are written, all the songs from the album were written from experiences that we had uh, on the road uh, touring, supporting our heroes. And so it's a really cool look at, at kind of what being in a band is like or uh, being on the road, but it's still very relatable to, uh, to people in everyday life. Speaking of the album, we opened the episode with Working for the Weekend. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. So that that was a track we had never set out to do a cover for this record. There was no no intention of us. We did 10 songs. We demoed 10 songs in Omaha. We sent those 10 songs to Chip Zanuff in uh, Blue Island, Illinois. Those were the 10 songs we were going to do for the record. And we got there and we, we the first day we we demoed all the songs to Chip. And he rolled up this joint that that is probably this long. And he's sitting there smoking this joint on a velvet couch. You know, this, this Chip's enough. We're talking about we're sitting there. He's like, bro, the label wants a cover for the first single. <sighs> come back tomorrow and have a cover ready to go. And we're like, tomorrow, come back tomorrow and have a cover. So we had no idea what we were going to do. We spent all night kind of just uh, listening to songs and thinking what would fit, what would work. And we were driving around Chicago in, in our van, going to get 
the world famous Chicago hot dogs and working for the weekend popped up on uh, on the radio randomly. And we're like, <laughs> that's it. That's a sign. We got to do this song. And I think it works so well. Uh, the idea of working for the weekend, it, it, it was there. And then the concept for the video kind of doing a parody of that, the SNL uh, Chris Farley skit with with our new mascot. We all we have like a Eddie, you know, if, from Iron Maiden. We have the yeah. pink bastard and he makes an appearance in the video. He's going to be at our show this weekend. Like he's become uh, taken on a life of its own. And it's so cool and so unique. And nobody's done anything remotely close to it. Yeah, yeah, I I agree 100%. If any of the listeners haven't seen the video for the song yet, they have to look it up. It's uh it's hilarious and it was just as much fun shooting the video as it is as you think it would be. When you watch you go these guys must have been having a blast shooting this video. I'm telling you we were. We played a show the night before, a, just a packed house show. And we got up the next day, everybody was tired and groggy and we got to the video set and as soon as we started doing our makeup and and the pink bastard was there the, with the devil horns. Like we were just charged up and we were laughing the whole entire night. And I think it really comes through in the video. It definitely does. It definitely does. Uh, what was the, the recording process like for the for the record? Was it did you do it during the pandemic? Was it after the pandemic? Yeah, it, it uh so what happened was is that we had uh we landed this dream tour. We we're opening for the choir boys. We get a, a call from our management say, okay, you guys are going to open for the choir boys for a month across the United States and Canada. We're like, this is it, man. We've made it. Like, we've made a, another level, another goal. And so we got on the tour. The tour is going great. We did two weeks, and the pandemic hit and shut everything down. And I go, well, this sucks, but we have to take this time uh, to to really – got, you got to seize the moment, seize this time, and do something productive and positive with – uh, all the negativity as the world shuts down. So we recorded all the songs. We demoed all the songs in Omaha at a small studio. We wrote all the songs in a basement at Sniper's Basement and then shipped those all off to Chicago. Uh, they, they got the songs there and we drove, it's about seven hours from Omaha to Chicago. We drove out to Chicago and did all the tracks, laid the tracks down at Chip's house uh, over a week or so. We did the drums, the guitars. I went in and did the vocals. And, and the day that we we recorded Highway 69, which is like another one of the singles that we put out, it's the single that everybody's talking about, is the day that there was a knock on the door and Donnie V from Enough's Enough, the original lead singer from Enough's Enough, walks in the door and I'm just like, starstruck, completely blown away, you know? <laughs> and Donnie V's like sitting there going, play the song, bro, I want to hear it. And I was like, man, this is insane. I got Donnie V and Chip here, both listening to the song highway 69 it was so surreal and so cool i'd say so i'd say so literally the stuff of dreams huh yeah absolutely i and i was it makes me i i don't get starstruck well i do get starstruck but in a different way i just shut up like i don't say anything because i don't want to say something stupid or ruin the moment you know <laughs> yeah. so i just kind of sat there and i was like okay Man, 16-year-old me would be kicking myself just thinking Donnie V and Chip's enough here to listen to the new single. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. We'll, uh, we'll jump back into your history uh, a bit now to give the listeners a taste of where you came from. So you're from Nebraska. Some of the band yep. are from Chicago. What, if you can, what was your earliest musical memory? My earliest musical memory started uh, my... my listening to the music you always listen to music your parents were listening to and i was very fortunate enough to 
to have parents that were cool and that kind of grew up during the 60s and the 70s that listen to great music. That being said, uh, in, in the States and especially in, in our area in the Midwest, it's very, uh, it's like Midwest rock and roll. And, and coming out of Chicago, you know, Chicago being so close, you got a lot of bands like REO Speedwagon, Bob Seger, all these great, great classic, Tenuja, these great, great classic rock bands. I remember listening to those on the FM radio with driving around the car and with my dad. He was also a huge Beach Boys fan. So I listened to a ton of the Beach Boys. I listened to Elvis, the king of rock and roll. <laughs> you know, it was really the kind of the oldies, but it was a good lesson in where to start and where the music came from and give you that that background, that foundation to kind of build. And then it was Kiss. It was it was all Kiss downhill. Once I heard Detroit Rock City at the age of 16, I was like, I'm hooked. This is what, the, what I want to do. Now, how do I do it? I always say, you know, a good, strong foundation in music is very important, especially for musicians, you know, and I love that lots of people tend to pick it up from their parents. When their parents mm -hmm. have great music taste, I think it uh, really sets you up for uh, obviously having great taste yourself. But um, what was the point in your early life that made you realize you wanted to be a musician? It, it was it was. Uh... So uh, my uh, my parents sent me to uh, a private a private school. So it was a Christian school, and they would play this video. It was a video called Hell's Bells, and it was a, like a propaganda video teaching kids how you know listening to ACDC, Highway to Hell, how it's a satanic thing, and if you play the records backwards, like you're gonna <laughs> get possessed by the devil, and you like all this this iconography of all these uh, these symbols inside of the the album covers and it did the complete opposite for me where i was intrigued and i'm like this is cool this is awesome I, I i need to know more about this i'm just hooked there's something about it my buddy brought in kiss detroit rock city and i was like i found what i've been looking for and i was kind of an outcast kid i was you know searching for something searching for my place and finding kiss kind of gave me that place then i realized that there's this whole this whole world of rock and roll, this whole world of people that are, feel exactly the same way I do that are looking for a place. And we have that place and that's in music. So I, I just dived in headfirst, didn't even think about it. My parents bought me a guitar and I, I was like, this is my ticket to kind of get out of Nebraska and to see the world and, and to meet girls and have a good time and go on the road and, and just be able to, to not have a real job. That was always the goal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, geez. And uh, so you play bass in yeah. the Midnight Devils, but you started on guitar. When did the, the switch up happen? So we, had, I, when I was 20, I joined a like an 80s hair metal tribute band, which I, at the age of 20 was the coolest thing ever. I'm on the road. We're traveling in a tour bus. We're getting paid every night. You know, we were partying our asses off 20 years old. I'm like, this is the best. How can it get any better? I was like, uh, I was stage managing for them. And so I did that for, for a lot of years while still holding on to my own bands and touring with my own bands. And then one one like one show came up for this band and they go, oh, the bass player can't make it. Could you learn all the songs and, and fill in on bass? And I was like, I'm not going to fill in. I'm taking over this guy's position. Like if he's going to make himself replaceable, I'm going to come in and I'm going to be so much better than him. And I'm going to do this better, bigger. It's going to be incredible. And that's how the switch was. So I just sat in in a basement on a couch and learned like woodshed, you know, learned all the songs, taught myself how to play the bass. I knew the 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 guitar enough 
to figure out how to play the bass. And it, it just made sense to me. Uh, the, it, mathematically in my head, I'm like, I get this. I understand this. And I really enjoy this. There was that turning point, And it kind of never looked back from there. That was the band that you met Sniper in as well, was it? Yeah, yeah. So, so Sniper and I became best friends in that band. It was the first gig he played. He was a fill-in guy, too. And they called him in, and, and we got along from the very first day. And uh, we've been together 15 years playing music together. And it's just, it's an incredible friendship that we have. And we get along so well on the road. You know, like anybody, they say it's like being married. And that's exactly what it is. But Sniper and I get along and we complement each other. We aren't the same. We're very different, but it complements so well. And Jimmy's kind of that glue that holds it all together. I like that you say it complements each other because you can really tell, you know, with his guitar playing, your lyrics, they just mesh together so well you know it's like uh i suppose uh maybe like lennon and mccartney the way they complemented each other you just you know you work so well together and i think that that is exactly a thought that that runs through my mind all the time as the greatest songwriting duo you always think okay there's a guitar player there's a singer and as a songwriter i go well i want to be the songwriter Right. I want to be I want my name to be the only one on song. But I realized that the songs that we write together, that we collaborate on are so much better than the songs that I write by myself or that he writes by himself. So it's really that that complimenting and lifting each other up that that makes such a strong band and such a strong song. What way do you guys approach it then? Do you, you know, set out a date, you come together, go into a room and just hack away at it or do you work at it on your own? That's exactly what happens. So he'll, uh, I'll be like, okay, dude, I got this idea. Here's uh, three chords and I got a, a, like a hook, a, a chorus. What do you think? And I'll, you know, it's three chords, G, C, D, and I can play the G, C, D. And he comes in, he's like, you know, this really cool riff. I'm like, well, that was much better than I had ever anticipated it being. Thank you. And he'll do the same thing. He'll come in with this riff. This real, and it was like Highway 69 was one of them, the single Highway 69. He comes in with this riff and I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to write for this. I have no idea. Like, it, it's our styles are so different. So I'll record it on my phone and I'll just sit here and listen over and over and, and just work my, my, my mind, work my brain till I, we figure something out. And it's worked so far so good. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. And um, back to the, the 80s tribute band then. How did that turn into the Midnight Devils? So we had been doing a lot of shows with that band. Uh, and as any tribute band can attest to, like you kind of plateau out. There's really no like uh, you want to be the, the biggest you can be, but there's really only so much room, you know, for, for bands like that, because there's no there's no more creativity. I feel like there's you can you can move parallel, but sure, you, you can't really move up. And yeah. so with that band, we we weren't doing as many shows as Sniper and I wanted to be doing. So we we decided let's do a two man acoustic band called the midnight devils we had an album called midnight devils let's just add the in front of it i got this cool little devil and we'll just go the midnight devils like the who you know the rolling stones that's really all it was and uh we we did two-man acoustic band but went full makeup and full hair playing small town bars and let me tell you it was like a shock to the system and two guys walk in with hair up to the sky lipstick on you know with this white makeup but coming in and we play, we kind of played a lot of the covers, the the Poison, the Milder Crew, the Def Leppard, all this stuff. And it worked, though. It was cool. And it put us back out on the road. And eventually we got to the point where we were like, OK, we need a drummer. 
and, and that enter, you know, we had a drummer for a little while. Then uh, we had met Jimmy Mess and we, we called him up. He's like, I'd love to do it. I'd love to do the tour. It's just started. He was going to do a tour with us down to this festival called Rocklahoma, this huge festival, 50,000 people. And uh, he said, I'd love to do it. On the way back home from the tour, he goes, this worked out really well. Let's keep this going and see how far we can take this. Ah, ah brilliant, brilliant. One thing stuck out at me there. You said you were playing small towns, you know, and you had all the makeup on. Yeah. How were people reacting? Because I know over here, at least, small towns, villages can be very closed minded and you wouldn't necessarily get a great reaction if you walked in wearing some outrageous, you know, stuff. It's exactly how it happened. And part of it was that was the what we were going for. Part of it was that it was like it, we did work it out to where we wanted that shock factor, but we didn't know how to get it. And especially with playing acoustic music, you can only shock so hard with, with two guys playing acoustic guitar. So we like a lot of things where I'd climb up on the bar and sing to people and I almost force people to get into it, to have fun. And eventually they would come around and they realize, I know what this is. I recognize this from the 80s, but I know that it's new and exciting now. So 90% of the time we could win a crowd over. There's that other 10% of the time where they're running us out of the city because they think that like the circus had just the, the gay circus had just come to town and the, the, you know they were coming <laughs> to steal all their sun. It was bad. There were certain nights that it was really bad that we, you know, we were scared and we we packed it up and had to, to flee the cities, if you will. Oh, man. <laughs> Jeez. Well, I think it made us a good band. It only made our bond stronger that, hey, we went through this. What what else we can go through almost anything now and nothing's nothing's off limits. True, actually, that's a very good way of looking at it. If you've experienced the worst like that, you know you can do anything. Now it's like if anybody says anything at all, if anybody you know talks talks bad about the Midnight Devils, it's like immediately we're like, "There, what did you say?" You know, <laughs> we're going, we we don't back down for anything. We we've been there was we tr- played with a Motley Crue tribute band, and the guy was one of the guys was just talking running his mouth he's like who are these guys they haven't done anything i said i piped up like what did you say to me i'm like you need to settle you need to settle down and know your role here you're in a tribute band and we're out on tour like there's a difference here there's a pecking order Mm, yeah yeah exactly exactly did you guys always kind of set out to be you know glam with the makeup stuff like that were you were you scared that, well, not scared, but were you worried that, you know, people would think you're a throwback to the 80s that, because personally, I've listened to your songs and, you know, it, it is kind of a throwback to the 80s, but you put a modern twist on it. But were you worried that you'd get pigeonholed into that sort of, oh, these are like a, a tribute to the 80s or they're trying to live in the 80s? Absolutely. And and I that we take uh, we take that very seriously. So when people bring that up, they go, oh, you guys are like Motley Crue. I go, no, we're not. Like, we're not a, a hair band. It's, it's really simple. We have big hair. Sure. But we're, we're a glam rock band. We're a modern glam rock band. We take more of uh, the inspiration from, from bands like uh, New York Dolls, uh, Sweet, the bands like that that kind of that came before Motley Crue, uh, Def Leppard. While we love those bands, I love those bands. I love Steel Panther. That's not what we're going for. We're we're more along the lines of Alice Cooper, more along the lines of of, of the, the you know Slade. 
these bands that are that, that are great that that kind of invented something and created something cool rather than than a part of say a, a, the 80s genre that's not what we are i do love that music but the makeup started way prior you know the makeup started with early on and it never went away for me it has always just been kind of a translation a, a, it's fluid it changes it gets and it's gotten more outrageous and more over the top as the years go by because i see the freedom and the potential in it especially having jimmy mess in our band where that guy you know he'll wear a thumb dress on stage and make it look cool and you're like how does he get away with doing this and people just go bananas for it so you you see that that like you don't have to apologize for anything we are, we're going to get up there and wear whatever we want. We're going to say whatever we want. But that's what rock and roll is. It's the spontaneity. And it's that kind of that dangerous attitude and that that electricity that fuels it. We're not like any other band that's out there right now. I don't know another band that 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 is doing it like we're doing it. No, no, definitely not. You're definitely, uh, I think you're the only one. You're very unique anyway. But um, I suppose people are probably... Uh, shouting at whatever device they're listening to this on now but i have to ask your pre-show routine does it take hours for you guys to get ready for a show generally yes it, it ta- so i'll set out i'm kind of neurotic about the way that we do everything because because we're on the road so much because it be- can become uh it can get confusing and it can get frustrating if you don't have a routine so i set everything up in the same spot do everything the same way that can only go so far because there's variables that you can't control. So I like to I like to have an hour before the set to 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 prepare, to get dressed, to get ready, to put a makeup on, to get in that frame of mind. But there's a lot of the time where you have 15 minutes or you have five minutes to get ready and you got to go as fast as you possibly can and just shut up and do it because you got to go. Like we just did Rock Fest out there in, in Wisconsin, this huge festival, and we were the first band on. We showed up. We did our sound check, and the guy's like, "Okay, you got thirty minutes before you're on." And we're like, 30 minutes." There's no dressing room. Like we have a van in the middle of a field. It's a hundred degrees out. We're sitting there, stripped down, naked, putting makeup on in the in the field in the van, getting ready for the show. And I thought this is gonna be terrible. This is gonna be the worst thing that we ever done. We drove all the way out here, and we walk up on stage, and there's a thousand people standing in front of us, ready to go crazy. I go, that makes it worth it every time, every time. Have you got to the stage now where, uh, you know, with the likes of Kiss and everything, I imagine even in their very early days when they were starting to get momentum, there was people starting to emulate them in the crowd, you know, wearing the face paint and dressing up as the guys. Have you guys got any fans yet who are starting to wear the face paint or starting to try emulate you guys? Absolutely. And I think I think it's the biggest compliment ever. And I, what I do when I see it is I go, these guys are starting to or these people are starting to to feel the freedom that we're feeling. They go, you don't have to be scared to wear whatever you want to wear, especially at a Midnight Devil show. Uh, we encourage it. Be as wild as you want. Be as wear the dress. I don't care. I, I, I love it. I love when people express that freedom and especially that rock and roll freedom. Uh, last week, we played out at another big festival. And I look down in the crowd and there's there's all these little kids that are wearing, they dyed their hair pink and green, like <laughs> each side of their hair pink and green, right? And they colored their shoes pink and green. And they gave me like a little thing that said, thank you, Sam, for, for coming to this festival. And I was just like, this is awesome. This is what, this is why we do this, why we suffer for, for our art. It's yeah. for these, these kids 
and for these fans. And that 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 that's the biggest compliment you could ever get. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That on its own makes everything worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, and of an interesting one for you now as a concert goer yourself what concerts would you say have made you and i'm trying to think okay so the last one that i saw was a band called avatar okay and avatar i don't know if you know it's through the swedish band but very theatrical rock band and what made it for me is the way that the singer could control the crowd and the way that the singer but it was almost like this Freddie Mercury presence on stage, you know, but but a very modern metal sound. But the way that the, the crowd hung on every word that he said and every hand movement, he didn't have to do anything. And the, the crowd was going crazy. That that spoke volumes to me. It's kind of the same with Ghost, where it's this this mystique and this theatric and this this feeling of I don't know who these guys are but I love it. Like I don't, I've never even seen their faces and I still love it. And it's terrifying and it's exciting. There's those moments. And it really takes you back to like when you were a kid, just discovering this music, the the light bulb comes on. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's it. That's what I love. That's what the reason that I love this music. The listeners are probably sick of hearing me say this now, but I absolutely love when a band puts on a stage show. You know, some of the best concerts I've been to are ACDC. This summer I seen yes. Iron Maiden and just the stage show, you know, Maiden had like a full length Spitfire plane hanging from the ceiling. And then, of course, Eddie running around. But, you know, it gives so much more to the show. There's nothing worse than going watching someone just walk out with a guitar and just stand there, sing their songs and walk off. You need the interaction with the crowd and you need a bit of a, a stage show, you know? I completely agree with you. And I I keep thinking, man, I, our, our stage show grows. Uh, and I go, man, we just keep adding more stuff. But it's more little gimmicks and tricks to kind of separate ourselves. So they're like, I have these costume changes. Like we have, we got this weird clothes that we wear. Uh, we always have the giant banner, a very Kiss-esque, you know, this banner that, that reinforces that, okay, we are the Midnight Devils. And, and, like we have we throw dollar bills 69 dollar bills in the audience and it, they're pink it looks so cool and i i thought like this is a great idea and i look down at the end of the show and maybe i'll throw a hundred dollar bills out on the ground uh, to the audience and there's not one left on the ground at the end of the show so i know it's working and we stole from acdc uh sniper and i went out and saw acdc and there was twenty thousand people wearing the, the devil horns right mm. i go that's smart I can do that, but I can make it our own. So I, I, we've been, we buy the green devil horns and we throw them out and it sets like this tone. When you look out in a crowd and you go, you see all these people wearing green devil horns. Or my favorite is when we're opening for a band, say we were opening for Ingve, Ingve Malmsteen, right? This big show, huge, huge show. There's hundreds, hundreds of people there. And I, I'm tossing devil horns out and then Ingve comes out on stage and they're still, all the crap with devil horns. And I'm like, it speaks, it speaks for itself, volumes. <laughs> oh, I would love to have seen his face when he seen that. He's <laughs> like, these guys, what the hell? <laughs> I have to ask, all these bands, you know, they have names for their followers, you know, the Kiss Army, stuff like that. Have you guys started to come up with a name for your followers yet? I, I've been calling them uh, just the Maniacs. Thank you to the maniacs out there. And, and I don't know if that if they if they've latched onto that or not, but 
And we are very blessed with to have to have fans that are so into this band that they created, you know, uh, fan pages. They've created uh, fan groups uh, in 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 the United States, in the UK, in Canada. Like there's these groups of people that that generally love what we do and support us fully, and they get the concept and get the idea, and they're there at every show and they travel to see us. And that I I'm so grateful for. I don't take it for granted. It's such a cool thing to have have these people with us and it almost becomes like their family it's not fans and a band it's that we're all family we're all in this thing for the same reason and i think that's still that comes from our punk rock background where you you take that stage away and we're all just standing on the same floor and we're all there for a good time yeah yeah that's a good way a good uh a good uh way to look at it and we'll talk about your personal concerts that you've played I love hearing these stories. So what would you say is the best experience you've had while playing a concert? I've We've had so many. And this this band is uh, is known for having every time we, we go out to do a show, whether it's good or bad, there's going to be some event that takes place that is going to derail the situation. And we got to figure out how to overcome that hurdle. Like just this morning, uh, Jimmy's coming into town. And he's he's riding the, the Greyhound bus from Chicago to, to Nebraska. And it's not the greatest thing ever, but he does it. And I give him the most props ever for being a road warrior. He calls me up. He's like, my ride didn't show up. Oh, man. Uh, I need I need 30 bucks for an Uber. You know, so stuff like that where I'm like, oh, man, like he's going to miss the bus. I'm going to have to get a $300 plane ticket. There's always these events. And uh, some some of the great ones are, uh, so we were out. We played the Whiskey Go-Go. We played the Whiskey Go-Go three times. And the first time we were there, it was such a huge deal for me, such a huge deal to finally be in L.A., finally do the Whiskey Go-Go. We're opening for the Bullet Boys. The Bullet Boys are doing a reunion show with the original members. And I'm like, this is perfect. It's going to be packed. we got a great spot. And we wake up the day of the show in Hollywood, and the promoter's like, yeah, the Bullet Boys just broke up. Oh, man. We drove all the way out there. And, and luckily, Mark Torian came and he did a full acoustic set and saved the show. And, but it was those moments where I'm sitting there. We played our set. It was great. We played to a great, a great crowd. And then we're watching Mark and I'm, I'm sitting there going, this is, this is like the dream. We made it. We did it. Everything worked out. And we overcome these massive hurdles to, to get here and to, to accomplish our goals. It's the same with Rockfest. I've been working on Rockfest for two years. Two or three years, I've been emailing back and forth to this guy, like, hey, man, we really want to do this. It's a huge goal. And we finally get there, and we thought it was going to be terrible. And, and we walked out on stage, and just these people just going crazy for the Midnight Devils at a modern metal festival. Disturbed was the headliner that night, and these <laughs> people were going crazy for three guys on stage wearing glitter and makeup. It was cool. And to see that, to see that it translates even to people that listen to modern metal. Like, you have those brief moments where you go, all the miles were worth it. All the all the, the stuff that we've given up and sacrificed, worth it. And I do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, even if you're a really, like, death metal sort of guy, I think when you guys would walk on stage, it's like, oh, hang on. What's this? This looks like fun. I'm going to get in on this. You know, you're totally right. And that is the cool thing. I'll say it a million times. The Midnight Devils can open. We can play with any band ever. 
And it's still going to be a good turnout. And it's still going to be fun. And it's still going to be cool. We've played with brutal death metal bands. And I was like, man, I don't know how this is going to work. And we came out on the stage. And I'm like, hey, everybody, let's go. And they got it. And they eventually got into it. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's the same thing you said. The passion and the fire and the realness translates. And yeah. it's an unspoken thing. But it translates. And the people go, oh, I get it. I understand exactly what these guys are going for. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You mentioned you were working on Rockfest for two years. You seem very kind of in-house, like DIY. You like to take control of things yourselves. Was it a conscious decision to, you know, be very DIY? Yes, it, it was. And it, it really came from, uh, we, Jimmy and I both started in punk rock bands. And we knew that we wanted the tour, but nobody's going to book you you got to go out and this was back in the MySpace days where you would hustle gigs on MySpace. I would do it for 12 hours. I'm hustling tours I'm hustling gigs and we didn't have a booking agent. So for us, it was, that's the way you get things done is you take control and you do it yourself. You don't rely on anybody else, especially uh, the managers and the man, you don't want those guys meddling in your affairs. Now things have kind of changed. But we, you know, we have a booking agent now. We have a record label now. We have a producer. We have this and that. But it's still very much the same. Or if I want something, I know that I'm not going to get it for free. Nobody's just going to come up and give me an awesome show, give me a, you know, a great record. None of this is going to happen. I have to go out and get it. I have to work for it. I have to earn it because that's what the bands before us did. Nobody gave Van Halen anything for free. They had to go and get it and be a great, great rock and roll band doing it. So I think it really comes from that aspect of of punk rock, of do-it-yourself, of this is what we work for. This is why we do this. We're not going to take it lightly. And we're not just going to sit around and wait for something to happen. We're going to go do it ourselves. It's the only way to do it, really. But um, we've had the, the best experience. We'll flip it around now. What would you say is the worst experience you've had on tour? Man, we've had we've had a lot of great. We've been very blessed to have great experiences. We've had uh, times where we thought it was going to be bad, and they've always turned out really good. We played a show in in New Orleans, and and that was it's kind of a it's such an interesting place and such a weird a weird spot. And we played uh, we played this, this. It was a wrestling match, so we're playing prior to the the death match wrestling. And the day of the show, the, they come in and they shut the show down. So they move it to a skate park in the middle in the middle of New Orleans. Like this is like hardcore, uh, you know, in in the in the weeds in New Orleans. <laughs> and they light up a bonfire. They put some rope lights around. There's microphones on a stand, a generator, and we're like, "This is messed up. This is really messed up." Like I don't know how we're gonna do this. And we get out there. It's a million degrees, and we do our show. And the wrestling fans loved it. I'm like, man, that, that worked out really well. Like we haven't had a whole lot of uh, bad experiences or experiences that we haven't been able to, to turn around into our favor. And that, I think that's cool. And it's a good mindset to have is that no matter what comes at us, we're going to jump over it. We're going to turn it around and we're going to make the shows work. I, I'm trying to even think like the worst experiences. Of the, they've always turned into really cool stories that we laugh about later. Like we've had gun battles that are at some of our shows. We have <laughs> mosh pits and you're just like, what? What is going on? Uh, but it's all part of it. I'm sorry, no, but that's a first for the podcast. Gun battles. Gun you battles, actually, yeah. <laughs> I have to hear. 
I just ran into the guy, the, this dude that was like, oh, I remember seeing you guys at this bar. And uh, it, it was, we called it the compound. So it was this tiny compound in, in Kansas. And they hired us to play. And the owner, as soon as we show up, he's got a, a, like a, the bottle, you know, he's got the, the can, he's wasted. And he goes and he digs up a safe out of the ground and opens it and hands us our pay for the night. You know, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is interesting. And so we get up on play our song, our set. And the very last song, he's screaming at us. He's like, take cover, take cover. And we're like, what is going on? And we we end the song and jump behind our bus because there's a, like the owner is firing a gun at somebody that wandered into the compound. <laughs> right. we're like, is this real? Is this really happening? But that's, I guess, par for the course with the Midnight Devils. <laughs> it makes sense for us. I wouldn't I expect anything less. I was just going to say, you know, I bet you Kiss and all those guys can't say there was gun battles at one of their gigs. <laughs> Nobody was hurt. Nobody was hurt. So it all worked out fine. And uh, we ended the show and got paid. So it was fine. We never went back again. But Really? Would you Would you not go back again? No. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I think that that like gets some sort of award for like the craziest or the worst experience ever. <laughs> It was and it, you felt like helpless in the moment because you had no idea what to do. But Sniper and Jimmy, they're they're U.S. war veterans, so they didn't they didn't care. They didn't even think anything of it. Like they took cover with us, but they're like, Dad, ah, they're just shooting out, shooting at each other. Not a big deal. And I was like, shooting at each other on a Friday. It's Friday night. There's just a couple of you know, a couple guys having a gun battle on Friday night. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> and. You mentioned earlier you were on tour with the choir boys. That must have been like, you know, you started to think things are turning around. We're starting to really make it here. This is the the pinnacle. What was it like being on tour with those guys? I got I got a good, two good stories for this. All right. So being on, uh, the, we've done two tours with the choir boys. The first tour we did was pre-COVID uh, with Spike. And that was that was the the turning point for us. That was our first big national tour, our first big tour with a, a big band. And I grew up listening or watching the hard and heavy cassette tapes where the choir boys played at Castle Donington, right? And, and next thing you know, I'm standing in, in Salt Lake City, shaking hands with Spike and meeting Bam Bam from the choir boys. And I'm like, these are my heroes and we're going to be on tour with these guys, right? So cool. Then COVID happened, the, the tour, you know, ended. It ended abruptly. And we all got sent home, but we've still, we remained friends with them. Then they come back to the States earlier this year, but Spike has been, you know, let go, whatever happened there. Yeah. And I thought, how is this going to even work? This is going to be terrible. Guy Griffin steps up to the plate and is one of the, the great, the, the good front man. He's a great front man. He led the band. I go, man, I almost like the songs just as much, if not more with Guy Griffin singing. It was so cool. And he was so nice. And we all rode in a van together across the entire country for two weeks, right? It gives you time to really to meet these people and, and become friends with them. And so we became friends, like really tight friends. And I tell everybody, it was the funnest tour that we had ever been on. So we get all the way to two weeks in, we get all the way to L.A. to the whiskey. And the whiskey is notorious for pay to play. You have to pay to get a good spot at the whiskey. But I thought, you know, while we're on the tour they, they got to put us right next to the choir boys. We've been on tour with them for two weeks and they put us on first, first at six o'clock. And, uh, you know, they put us on at six Oh five. The doors are at six. And I lost it. I, I was, I was mad. 
beyond mad. I go, how dare they? How could anybody do that? And I just wanted somebody to stand up for us. Somebody like our headlining act to stand up for us. And the choir boys went above and beyond. They wrote a letter to the whiskey. They said, you know, you can't treat these guys like this. Uh, it's just they've, they've worked their asses off for us for the last two weeks. And so knowing that the choir boys had our backs, stood up for us, I, I'm fine with playing at 6.05. If, if I got the, the endorsement from the choir boys, I know that they're in my corner. It was totally fine after that. You know, We had the name on the marquee and everything. Everything worked out fine. But just knowing that they wrote a, a letter to the, to the guy at the whiskey say, you can't treat the Midnight Devils like this. This is our band. That's so cool. A dream come true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It just goes to show what uh, what they're like as people, you know, behind <laughs> all the rock star sort of stuff. But um, yeah. I love that you mentioned the whiskey. You know, for me, that's like over here, it's like Mecca. You know, all the yeah. greatest bands going back to the 60s have played there. I always say whenever I get to the States, that's one of the first places I'm going to go. I don't care who's playing just as long as I'm at the whiskey. I'll uh, I'll be happy. But what was it actually like, you know, going in there, being backstage, seeing all the names on the wall, stuff like that? It was exactly what you thought it would be. It is the Mecca. It is the rock and roll capital of the world. I mean, of our kind of universe, it is the greatest rock and roll club in the greatest city, on the greatest street. And we've done it now. We've played three times. We're going to go back in September uh, opening for Pretty Boy Floyd. But it, it's the first time I was nervous as hell, right? And I didn't want to mess it up. I didn't want to do anything stupid. And you kind of take it in and you're kind of acclimating to the California way of doing things. The second time we walk in, they recognize us. And I go, are you kidding me? They're recognizing us at the whiskey? Like, they, oh, the Midnight Devils are here. Great. I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Same with the rainbow, though. So what you do is you you play the show at the whiskey, uh, good or bad, whatever happens. But you inevitably you're there to have your name overlooking Sunset Strip. That's what you're there for. And you play the show, and everybody hangs out on the street, and and they walk up and down the street. People are driving down, and you meet the who's who, what everybody out there talking. And then you go up to the rainbow, and you party at the rainbow till it closes. That's just the thing that you do. The first time in. I was nervous. We did the, you know, we saw Lemmy. We took pictures and everything. The second time in, we walk up to the rainbow and the guy's like, yeah, come on in. Good to see you guys. And I was like, oh, man. Whoa. Like, <laughs> and we had full makeup on, right? So we, he recognized us because of the makeup. And it, it just becomes more of a party every time. And you start seeing people that you recognize and, and the, the LA people and that California experience. It's exactly, it goes back to, you know, growing up on the Beach Boys and talking about that California dream. That was like, we've done it. We've been there and we love it. And it's so much fun. I completely agree with you. You got to experience it. And just to be there, you can feel the energy in the walls, in the presence. And we like with the choir boys, especially, we walked upstairs to the to the whiskey, to the backstage. And there was people flowing out of the choir boys dressing room. I'm like, what is going on here? They're going on stage for 15 minutes. They got a full-blown party going on with like 100 people in their dressing room. And they're just drinking, having a blast. I'm like, these guys know how to rock and roll. This is great. <laughs> oh, definitely sounds like it anyway. And before we, we move on to the last couple of questions, I have to ask, what's on the calendar for the rest of the year? Yes, uh, so we uh, we kind of finished up our summer run uh, this weekend. Uh, the The new album came out, so we're doing a, a bunch of festival shows. We're doing a bunch of uh, 
album release parties. So we play in our hometown of Omaha, Nebraska tomorrow. Then we go to St. Louis, Missouri, do a show down there. Then we take a little time off to, to regroup. And we go to the Rock. We make our big re- return to Rocklahoma beginning of September. It's Labor Day. Uh, this huge festival, just like a, it's our it's our home. It's our rock and roll summer camp for three days. We do that. Then we go back to L.A. with Pretty Boy Floyd. We do L.A. and then uh, Vegas, which uh, we haven't had a good show in Vegas yet. We played there a bunch of times. And I'm hoping that this one is going to be the one. Sin City, we need it beginning of or end of September. Then we launch into the second leg of the Glam Slam Metal Jam Tour with Enough's Enough and Pretty Boy Floyd. And that goes through Texas and into Florida and then Atlanta in October. And then we are looking at, we're doing the UK European Tour with Enough's Enough coming in November. Oh man, I am so glad you finished with that because I was <laughs> just thinking to myself, as soon as he stops now, I'm going to ask, how long do European fans have to wait to see you guys? That's brilliant. Hopefully not long. We were we're working our asses off, and that is my number one goal on the radar. Ever since I was a kid, is how do I get overseas? How do we get this band out of the out of the country? And now we have that opportunity. And we went through all the dates last night, looking. Okay, we're going to be. You know, we start here and and we go. We start in Italy for three days, and then we make our our way to the UK and do the UK, do Ireland, and then Spain, and, and there's there's a whole bunch of stuff. But I, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm excited for the opportunity to even have it on the plate and to be thinking about it, talking about it. I think it's such a cool thing and such a dream come true. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It doesn't get much better than that. I know for a fact, as soon as tickets go on sale, I'll be first in the queue, just even just to see you guys. Do you think we will run into the same problems that we run into in the States? Three guys wearing wearing dresses and wearing makeup, walking around the, street, <laughs> walking around the streets of England. Do you think we'll be all right? I think you might get a couple of uh, odd looks, but for the most part, I think you'll be okay. <laughs> I think it'll be good. I think, I, and I really think European fans, especially, are more accepting and more uh, accessible to this type of music. They're dying for it, you know. That, and I, I'm excited. I'm really excited to have this opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you think about it, really, like European fans don't have as much access to live shows of bands like you guys and even back in the 80s you know Motley Crue guys like that they never really came over to Europe as much as they tour in America so when a band like you come over to Europe like we just love it you know yes and and I think it's it's appreciation and appreciation for the time and effort that it takes to to mobilize a tour and a band to get it over to the to to the other side of the world is essentially and it's yeah. really cool and i think um you know a lot of kid people living out there their childhood dreams of being on the on the road in the uk or being on the road in europe being on the road uh in a foreign country is such a cool idea and a, a, such a just this i'm just trying to wrap my mind around it still <laughs> we're looking at the at the dates and the cities and i'm just like this is just insane. There's like Pisa, Italy, tour in Italy. You know, we're oh, playing man. Scotland, we're playing Ireland. Man, I'm like, this is great. <laughs> I've always wondered how uh, how you guys over in the States, you know, view Europe and the UK, especially because I know bands over here, it's all from the minute they start, it's like, we have to get to the States. We'll, we'll make it in the States. You know, I've always mm-hmm. wondered how you guys view over here. Uh, and currently, I view it as, there is so much great 
British rock and roll. And especially being on the road with the choir boys, like that really sealed the deal for me where I was kind of, you, you hear about these guys that kind of get obsessed or, or really dive into English music. And, uh, you know, the home of the Rolling Stones, the Faces, a Sin Lizzy, all these bands. And so when we were on the road with the choir boys, I was like, I was nervous. I'm like, what are these guys going to want to listen to in the van? And we started busting out UFO. We started busting out Deep Purple. We started, you know, all these great, these great British bands. And I was, they were telling me all the stories behind the bands. They were on tour with Whitesnake. And I'm like, these guys got the best stories ever. So for us, it's like, we're going, we're going to be playing in the home of the Beatles. We're going to be playing in the home of the Rolling Stones. Like this is where uh, this style of music really originated and, and kind of became cool. Mm, yeah yeah definitely definitely and uh we'll we'll move on to the last couple of questions now i can't wait to hear your answers for for these i bet they're going to be some interesting ones so if you could see any artist or performer from history in concert for one night only who would it be i would never seen uh well it would be elvis presley absolutely i i would i want to see it but i you kind of have like these eras and we have this uh we have this thing. So I work at a bar and, you know, late night at bars uh, after the, the place closes and all, all the girls leave. And it's just the guys sitting around listening to music. You go, what if you could go to any any you can steal this question too. feel free. Right. If you could be time warped into any concert in any time, just time warp you right there to the side of the stage. Like what concert would it be? Such a good question. You think like yeah. would it be Altamont? Would it be Woodstock? Would it be uh, the what are the 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 big ones in London? Uh, Hyde Park, you yeah. know, uh, yeah, the Queen show. It's just so many cool things. So mine would be absolutely Elvis Presley. It'd be Queen back in the day. I never saw. I you know I'm too young to have seen Queen, but see, see bands where the guys that had this this profound influence and and this majesty. I love that. I've seen Kiss a bunch of times, but I never saw Kiss in their prime. The, the band that I love, I never saw them when they were young and hungry. I've only seen them when they were kind of rich rock stars established. I would love to see a young ACDC just still out hungry playing clubs. Yeah, actually. I think it would be so cool just transported into that little spot for that yeah. brief time. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I have to say, though, I was uh, for anyone listening now, you're wearing... A pretty cool Elvis top, but I was a bit surprised you said you'd love to see Elvis. I wouldn't have thought, you know, a pure rock guy would have wanted to see Elvis. For for some reason, it it appealed to me from from when I was a little kid. The king of rock and roll, the beginning and the end, and, and that history. I really, I'm just intrigued by the history. So going into Memphis, like where did that sound come from? Where did uh, where did Elvis kind of get a start? How did he shape the landscape of rock and roll the way he did? Uh, the Delta Blues, all that stuff coming up out of the South was just so different and so cool. And then Elvis kind of took what was happening and he, he was able to, you know, through the help of his management and everything, was able to package it to a mass audience. And uh, that really uh, that really tripped something in me. Like he had enough, there was enough backing there to turn this into just a phenomenon yeah. and a rock. And roll. It, it changed everything. You know, it, it, it was the guy, those guys, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, just, uh, you know, uh, who was it? James Brown and uh, all those guys that were just coming up, working their way through the, the South and grew up on blues and grew up on, on all this, this soul and this gospel. 
that's where our, our style, our rock and roll came from. Yeah, yeah. I'd uh I often say myself I'd love to go back to, you know, maybe the fifties, sixties and the seventies just to watch that uh Elvis especially, but just to watch that music evolve. Yes, absolutely. And I that it was exciting. It was an exciting time. And I, I think we're, we're kind of finding ourselves in that exciting time now. The renaissance almost, if, if you'd say after COVID happened, after the lockdown, we're coming out now and everybody had their, their time to be creative and to, to, to be artistic. And now all that art is being released on the world. I really think that this is one of those times where people will look back and be like, what happened after COVID? It was this period of great resurgence in the arts and great freedom great creativity yeah yeah i haven't heard it put like that now before but it's actually a perfect description um the next one then if you could be locked in a room for 24 hours with any artist from history who would it be i would say uh i would love to be in a room with david lee roth from like back in back in 81 or something like that in 19 <laughs> You know, but I don't I don't know if we could handle 24 hours together, you know, yeah. maybe an hour together would be great. <laughs> but you know, guys like that or or Ace Freely from from Kiss, uh, Paul Stanley is, is one of my biggest influences. And just to be able to pick his brain and to to pick up the wisdom that that he has gained through so many years of doing this. It's, it's a lot like hanging out when we tour with Enough's Enough, when we tour with Chip. A lot of the times. You just, you kind of, when he's around you, we don't say too much. I don't say too much because I don't want to say anything stupid, but I also want to make sure that I'm listening and I'm picking up every little nugget of wisdom that he has because he's been doing this for 40 years. I want to do this for 40 years. I've only been in it half as long as he has. What is he doing to make himself successful and to prolong the longevity, you know, to keep his name going? And it's such a cool thing, especially like Steve Summers from Pretty Boy Floyd too, like being in a van with him. You just learn all this stuff just by the way he talks and the way he he tells stories and jokes. You know, like this is how you you, you need to do things, the right, the wrong, whatever it is. You lo- you lead by or you learn by their example. Sounds like uh, in the tour bus is just a pure master class then. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And you, you got to wade through like the <laughs> wade through the the crankiness and the the jokes and the, you know, when the guys get drunk. But if my favorite time on tour would be. After the shows, we'd all get back into the van and we have to drive to our hotel. And especially with the choir boys, Paul Gearing, like I shared a bench with them in the bus and we, we would all be on cloud nine because we just played the show, a great show. And he would just start spouting off jokes and spouting off stories. And I'm just like, this is the coolest thing ever, man. I've, I never thought I would get it. hear stuff like this. And especially coming from a guy that lives in Europe, lives in England, halfway around the world, like it's such a different perspective on life and on rock and roll yeah yeah but we meet, we meet on that common ground you know we're, we're right there together yeah yeah that's one thing about rock and roll it doesn't matter where you come from or what you do you know exactly. it's common ground exactly and you put seven guys in a band and they don't even know each other and we're expected to get along for two weeks we meet on common ground yeah Exactly, exactly. And the final one then, if there was a song that could appear on the soundtrack to your life, what would it be? I wish I had, this is such a good question. And I wish I had a really funny answer and I can't think of one right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Any song. Uh, 
What is the one? What is the one that? Uh, so I, this is just this is my funny answer because I just listened to the song last night. I played it at, at uh, my bar. It's that song up from Night at the Roxbury. What is love, baby? Don't hurt me. <laughs> they shut the casket down. What is love, baby? Don't hurt me. <laughs> Jimmy's Jimmy's would, Jimmy's would be like they shut the casket down. It's like YMCA. <laughs> Village people come on. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. I have to say that is the first time I've heard that answer. <laughs> you get all these serious answers from everybody else. And ours is what it's loved. Yeah, yeah. Like normally people are trying to be, you know, come across as very sort of thoughtful and oh, what is it now? What describes me perfectly? But I love your answer. <laughs> I, was, I was jamming it last night going, this is a great song. Whatever happened to the song? <laughs> oh man oh brilliant brilliant well sam listen i've thoroughly enjoyed the last hour it's been everything i expected now i've been looking forward to it and it didn't disappoint yeah i appreciate it it's a pleasure talking to you pleasure like you had some great questions that really made me dig in deep a lot of times we do these interviews and it's like the same old questions i can kind of do it on autopilot with yours i actually had to think about it so bravo very good job
possessions, poltergeists and hauntings, and all things that will scare the hell out of you. These things do more than go bump in the night. Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I for one surely did. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Your five-star review will be read out on the show. And don't forget, you can now rate us on Spotify. You can find and follow us on all social media at Concerts That Made Us Podcast. And don't forget to check out the website at www.concertsthatmadeus.com. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com forward slash concerts that made us so until next time keep rocking hey hey what are you guys still doing there the show is over it's over you can go home go on we'll see you next time we'll be here bye